You're listening to a podcast from Bayside Church International. So Don has got a couple of words to share um, before we throw to announcements. Good morning. I have a word for three sisters. Where did I put it? <laughs> I tell you what, that's not it. Just talk to yourself for a while. Here we are. I've got it. I have a word for Jay. I have a word for Rachel. And I have a word for Joan Woodhouse. I, I call her by a surname because there's more than one Joan here. And I don't all of them thinking the word is for them. It's a good word. It started two weeks ago. Remember I said something here? I raved on as usual. And I was, after I was at the doorway and um, just standing there, the meeting had finished. I was talking to somebody. Rachel came past. I'm not sure if she was with somebody, but the Holy Spirit said to me, bless her. And I didn't. I don't know why. I've been a bit slack lately. For some time. Anyway, I didn't bless her. I went home that evening. I was worried that I didn't do what the Holy Spirit said. Next day, I didn't think about it a lot. Tuesday morning, at one of my times, 4 a.m., I was out of bed, and God, or the Holy Spirit, spoke to me again. Firstly about Jay, then about Rachel, and then about Joan Woodhouse. So I wrote down a few things. The next day I was thinking about it. It came Wednesday or Thursday, and I stopped and I said to myself, you're dreaming again. God's not speaking to you. You're, you're dreaming. Friday morning at 4 a.m., I'm up again, and he goes through it again with me. So I thought Sunday, that was last Sunday, I would share. But... I didn't, we didn't get here. Of thinking about it all the week, I'm not going to do this. And this morning, <laughs> it's remarkable in our house, 4 a.m. seems to be an important time. <laughs> I agree. So, I wrote down a few things. Jay, she's in with the children, is she? Oh. <laughs> not only am I not, uh, am I deaf from God, I'm so, I'm beginning, a little bit blind. Right. I have a word for you It highlights your character. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 38, an angel comes to Mary and speaks to her that she's going to have a child and she says, no, 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 hang on, hang on, no, no, no. No, no, let me finish. No. And this is the part I want you to listen to. 
Don't listen to them. Listen to me because the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. She refers herself as a handmaiden of God. Remember that. You're a handmaiden of God. Mary was one of the strongest characters in the Word of God. So she has the child. That's what God says. Then we go on. Jesus grows in a home and we come to the wedding feast where they're invited to Jesus, some of the disciples, Mary, they're all there. And the wine runs out. And Mary says to Jesus and tells him what's happened. And he says to her, it's not my time. She doesn't listen. She goes and says to the servants, fill up these big pots with water and see what he does. So they do it. And he turns the water into wine. I see in those two instances her tremendous courage. She allowed herself to have a child, 15 to 20 years old, a virgin. And when it comes to a time, she pushes Jesus into performing a miracle. That takes courage. You've got courage. You're strong and you're fearless. And that is the word for you and you're a maiden of God. And you've been raised from a child to be strong and fearless. I'm sorry I'm pointing. No, I'm not. <laughs> Remember that. Rachel, I'm sorry I did not bless you last uh, a fortnight ago. There's a scripture in Isaiah, or the word firstly for you is you're a caring, caring person. And those who know her would have to agree with that. I don't really know Rachel, but those who know her, is that yes? yes. Right. Isaiah 43 and verse 4 speaks of... It's the Lord speaking to Israel, and when he speaks to Israel, he speaks to us the same. And he says to you, you are precious in his sight. You're precious in God's sight. And I, he says this, and God says this to all of us, I love you. That's a wonderful scripture. Take hold of it. Believe it. And there's one thing I'd like to encourage you to do. In John chapter 7 and verse 37, Jesus talking at the end of uh, the great feast day, uh, feast day and I, have to, I need this around my neck, um, about being filled with the Holy Spirit, like living water flowing in you and out of you. Keep yourself full. Keep full of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Strong, caring. Joan Woodhouse, where are you? Up there somewhere? Ah, oh, yes. Joan's creeping up to my age. She will never get there, but she's creeping up. I got a word for you. It's called reliable, trustworthy. In 
we all know the story about Mary and Martha. And often you, people are accused of being a Mary or a Martha. Well, that's probably true. In John chapter 11, verse 20 to about verse 32, Jesus comes onto the scene after their brother had died and was buried for three days. And Martha goes out to meet him. And Jesus says to her about he would be in the resurrection. And she calls him the Christ. And she says, I know he'll be in the resurrection in the last days. But Jesus wasn't referring to that. But she loved the Lord. She knew who he was and she called him the Christ. Mary, we know, loved the Lord. She liked to sit at his feet. He came, she came and seen Jesus at the same time and fell on him and hugged him. And Joan, I'd like to say to you, you are a Martha and you are a Mary. You think about that. Joan is very reliable and she does a lot of things behind the scenes which nobody knows. And so she's a Martha in caring. But she's a Mary in her worship. You'll never see her miss church. Ever. She'll be there. She'll be at other meetings during the week. Hallelujah. So three sisters, I pray God's blessing upon you at all times. I pray that you will take these words to your heart. And whenever things are different to what they should be, you will say, I have a word. And the word says this, and the word says that. Thank you, Father. Amen. God bless you all. Good morning. Hey, I had such good notes. Good morning. This is, um, this is me, as you know, as I said last week, a photo of me and my six-pack getting ready for summer. Thanks, thank you. <laughs> I think so. I, we've got an echo in here. I have a feeling that some good words have already been shared. And um, you've prompted me to do something very last minute. Which, as anyone who knows me knows, is not me. <laughs> good morning. I was going to start this morning by reading a whole chapter from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Uh, and uh, John, I had them all prepared on the screen, but I don't feel like I'm going to do that today. Chapter. Well, actually, why don't we do that? I'll get some rhythm before I get right out of whack, because I've just changed my message last minute. Let's just start anyway in Deuteronomy chapter 8. I need to at least start with something familiar before I then say I'm going into unfamiliar territory. Deuteronomy 8. Uh, if you don't know much about your Bible, the first um, five books of the Bible, the Bible is basically made of 66 books. It essentially is one story. And uh, the first five books of the Bible are called the books of Moses, 
and officially the Hebrew people call them the Torah. Uh, in Greek it's Pentateuch because Pent is five, so it's the first five books of the Bible, but the Torah, the books of the law, the whole of the Hebrew Bible is what they call the Tanakh. Okay, so we call it the Old Testament, otherwise the Hebrews just call it their Hebrew Bible. If you chat to a Jewish person today, they'll go, what do you mean Old Testament? That's our Bible. Okay, so the Hebrew Bible or the Tanakh, and then we have the first century scriptures, or what we often call the New Testament. But the first five books are called the uh, Pentateuch or the Torah, and the book of Deuteronomy, the word Deuteronomy means repetition, and it is basically a repeat of something that God said 40 years earlier to his people. His people have come out of Egypt. They've just started as a whole new nation. God gave them a law by which to govern themselves and a, and a covenant agreement that sort of came hand in hand with that. And then, because of a few unfortunate incidences, they ended up spending 40 years just wandering around in the desert and everyone aged over 20 died in those 40 years. So 40 years later, we have the book of Deuteronomy. The oldest person in the crowd would be 59. It would, it would make our crowd even smaller today, wouldn't it? So 59. I remember the first time I went to Cambodia and uh, it, it shocked us. This was this is near on 10 years or more now. But there was very, very, very few grey heads in Cambodia. Some of us have been there because it's got better over the years as the population's grown, but because of the genocide that took place there in the 70s with, with Pol Pot and what have you, uh, the age of the population obviously was very much decreased. So very similar for this era. These people are essentially all newbies. They're people that have only grown up in the desert, um, or if they knew Egypt, they knew it as a teenager. Okay? And so the book of Deuteronomy is about revisiting what God had said 40 years ago to all their parents, and now Moses is restating it before they go into their promised land. So I will do this. I'll read Deuteronomy because it's good to read scripture. And then I'll um, change tax in, in a moment. So Deuteronomy 8 says this. Be careful to obey all the commands that I'm giving you today. Then you will live and you will multiply and enter and occupy the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for 40 years, humbling and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would really obey his commands. He humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people need more than bread for their life. Real life comes by feeding on every word of the Lord. How many of you know that in the first century AD, Jesus quotes that verse? Okay, and he quotes it in the, remember? In the desert, in the wilderness. He had 40 days of testing in the wilderness. Or actually, it says after those 40 days, the enemy came to him and he quoted this. Interesting, hey? So this is after 40 years in the desert, Moses says this. In the first century, after 40 days in the desert, Jesus quotes this very same passage. I'm glad I read that because I'm going to use that today. Men will feed on every word that comes from the Lord. There's a great principle here and it's that we eat words. We eat words. And like anything you eat, it will either do something good for your body or something bad, or maybe something neutral sometimes. But we eat words, and what we eat will either has the propensity or the potential to either do something good for our soul or something harmful, helpful or harmful. But we eat words nonetheless. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. For all these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out, your feet didn't blister or swell. So you should realize that just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you to help you. Spoke last week about how our job as parents is to do all we can to set our kids up for success. And God, even when he says no to us, is still setting us up for success because he knows what's best for us. He, he disciplines us. The word there can also be just translated, he parents us. He parents us for our good. 
And in the first century, the New Testament, the writer of the book of Hebrews references this uh, portion as well. He disciplines us for our good. Verse 6. So obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him, respecting him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water with springs that gush forth in the valleys and hills. It's a land of wheat and barley, of grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, olives and honey. It is a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It's a land where iron is as common as stone, copper as abundant in the hills. When you have eaten your fill, praise the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. This was a land that he had pre-prepared for them. He is setting them up for success. But that is the time to be careful. Once you're enjoying what God has given you, be aware of something. Beware that in your plenty, you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations and laws. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, when your flocks and herds have become large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, that is the time to be careful. Don't become proud. For at that time, and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with poisonous snakes and scorpions when it was so hot and dry he gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. This is all character building for you. He did it so that you would never think that it was your own strength and energy that made you wealthy. So I think the point here is that by living scarce for a time, by living on just enough, when they were in the land of more than enough, they would have learnt the character-building lessons of knowing everything we have comes from God anyway. Okay, we're relying on God to meet our needs in the land of just enough so that in the land of more than enough, we know same God, we still trust him the same way. That was the principle anyway. He did it... Uh, where, what verse are we up to? Verse 18. Always remember that it is the Lord your God who gives you the power to become rich and he does it to fulfill the covenant he made with your ancestors. This must be a different year, this translation of the New Living. New Living. I, liked, I, I picked this verse. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. In order to fulfill the covenant, he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. Their ancestors, primarily there, he's talking about Abram, Isaac and Jacob in the book of Genesis, where God says to those men, I will bless you and that blessing will be so contagious, you will be a blessing to others. I'm blessing you with more than you need so that you'll be a blessing to the whole world. And he finishes off with this, verse 19, but I assure you of this, if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods, worshipping, bowing down to them, you will be destroyed, just as the Lord has destroyed other nations in your path. You will also be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. I explained last week the context of that covenant, how that does not apply to us, but how nevertheless it was very applicable to the people um, at the time. The point was in verse 18, or one of the points why I wanted to read that particular translation, translation, is because it says there in verse 18, it is the Lord who gives you the power to be successful. We started a preaching series last week in the lead up to summer called Set for Success. Set for Success. As I said last week, like all parents, one of our primary jobs is to do what we can to set our kids up for success in life. Our job, Eva's, is not to raise children. Our job is to raise successful adults. That is our goal. <laughs> not to raise kids, children, but to raise people who will be successful adults who themselves, like Paul says to Timothy in the New Testament, I'm teaching you things that I want you to pass on to others to pass on to others. We are thinking multi-generational as we raise our kids and we want to set them up for success in life and in a life that is not going to be tiptoed through the tulips for them. One of the reasons we use the picture of in here in beach volleyball, we are going into summer, of course, but the set in volleyball is a very calculated move to set up your team player for a winning strike. And that is what God wants to do for us. He wants to set us up 
for a win. We see this in the picture of God's people as a vineyard in the Old Testament. We looked at this in Isaiah 5, Jesus quotes it in the Gospels, where he describes God's people as like a vineyard, a vineyard, a vineyard where he built a watchtower, done a wide press, got all the rocks out of the ground, set the vineyard up for a win and said, all right guys, you come in and you look after it. I've done everything in my power to set this up for a win. Now you go and steward it well. God is wanting to set us up for success and we've committed ourselves in these six weeks in the lead up to Christmas to look, about, look at some of the big issues of life where God has set us up to succeed and how we can cooperate with that. Because one of the negative sides of the Old Testament story is that they didn't do too well in cooperating with God's processes. And so they didn't enjoy the success that God had set up for them as they could have had they walked in the processes of God. And so last week, in very Chad format, we looked at the ABCs of how we can respond to the fact that God has set us up for success. I shared these last week. You can listen to it on the podcast. Number one, to appreciate his initiatives. Appreciate that God has gone before you, that God has initiated good things on your behalf. B, it's to believe his intentions, that God is a good, good father and he wants what is best for you. Believe that he wants the best for you and in appreciating what his hands have done, in believing what his heart is for you, we can cooperate with his instructions and cooperate to do um, whatever he says in various areas of life. Today, I was going to look at one of the big areas and issues of life that particularly pertain to the summer season as we lead into Christmas. And then somehow in the last half an hour, I feel like I need to change tact. For those of you who, aren't, who won't be here next week, if I ever get to share it now, because I've been working really hard all week on developing today's message, and it was actually becoming like a four-part series in itself. This is where I was going to go today. I even did a slide. I want to at least show you I've done something this week. <laughs> Pastors only work one day a week. We all know that. Finances. I was going to look at one of the big issues of life in finances. I was going to encourage you today to spend it wisely, to save it strategically, to sow it generously, and to steward it faithfully. To spend it wisely, particularly in Christmas, to save it strategically, to sow it generously, and to steward it faithfully. Finances is one of the big issues of life that can see people really undone or can see people set, them up for, set themselves up for success, cooperating with God's purposes. But today, as those words were coming out, I feel like I need to change tact and talk about another big issue of life. One of the other big things that God has given us that can either be a great blessing or a real pain. Something that God has given us to help us succeed in life. But if we don't use it properly, rather than being a blessing, can actually burn us or burn others. It's been said that for many of the problems in life, the solution is often found right under your nose. <laughs> yeah, Movember, it's a moustache, yeah. Because one of the things that God has given us to set us up for success in life is our speech. Words are not some, only something we eat. A man will not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from God. Words are not only something we eat. Words are obviously something we speak. There are three purposes, main reasons that you have a mouth. One, to speak. Number two, to swallow. And thirdly, before you swallow, to taste. That's what your tongue is for. Speak, your tongue, not necessarily your whole mouth, but your tongue. Your tongue is there to speak, to swallow, and to taste. And I want to propose to you 
that in setting you up for success in life, God has given you a tongue and it is the most powerful, one of the most powerful weapons you have at your disposal. And my encouragement to you today, as I've said before, is not to tame your tongue. Now, I know James says that, but I think there's a higher revelation than just taming your tongue. And it's training your tongue. When you acknowledge something has power, to just talk about taming your tongue is like taking a big lion and thinking, well, I'll just tame it and make it a little cat that can just perform at a circus. That's a tame lion. Okay? Bit of surgery, and then you can make it do whatever you want. Okay? God, I don't think, I'm, I'm not particularly interested in you taming your tongue because your tongue has power that needs to be harnessed. Okay? Not testosterone cut off so that you lose its power and just tame it. No, train it, harness that power for blessing rather than curse. Let me read some scriptures. If you can follow, Jono, do this as quickly as you can. Proverbs 18 and verse 20. Proverbs 18 verse 20. I don't have them because I'm not prepared. Proverbs 18 20 says, From the fruit of his mouth, a man fills his stomach. With the harvest from his lips, he is satisfied. Your mouth creates fruit that you will therefore then eat. So your mouth, words, as it's often said, creates worlds. Genesis 1, the, the whole creation story. To create, God first spoke. Words create worlds. And this proverb said, from the fruit, what your mouth creates, will then also is something you eat. You speak and you eat. Go to verse 21, Proverbs 8, 21, the next verse. The tongue has the power of both life and death. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Again, speaking and eating. Proverbs 12 Proverbs 12, verse 13 and 14 says this. Proverbs 12, 13 and 14. An evil man is trapped by his sinful talk, but a righteous man escapes trouble. From the fruit of his lips, a man is filled with good things, as surely as the work of his hands reward him. Particularly those of you in trades or those of you who work with your hands and you physically produce something. So in the same way, Solomon says in great wisdom, your mouth, your words are forming things and will reward you or possibly harm you if your words are not used with wisdom. Proverbs 12 is full of good proverbs like this. Verse 18, Proverbs 12, verse 18, the power of the tongue. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wives bring healing. Words can either hurt people or heal people. Can harm people or bring wholeness to people. Chapter 12, verse 25. Proverbs 12, 25. An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. And this was part of God's intent this morning during our worship time. That someone came out of their way... I think it was Jay for, in this one, added their way to say someone here is really anxious about something. Wind's buffeting you on the rock and all that whole picture. An anxious heart will wear you down or weigh you down, but a kind word can cheer you up. Think of how better our community would be when you, if you pass through Woolies or Coles or wherever it is you shop, IGA, oh, better say all of them or I'll be discriminating, all right. Food land, all right, all right. Uh, veg out, oh God, keep going. Um, It'll be Audi soon, yeah, that's right. Um, and you go through, and you just say kind words to your checkout chicks or checkout lads, whatever. Okay, uh, you just say kind words everywhere you go. You, we all, we see people all in our life with anxious hearts that are weighed down. And I wonder if part of our solution is rather than saying you look really depressed today, how are you? Something up? Maybe the alternative for us is just to speak kind words. You're doing a great job. Been really helpful today. Thank you so much. Proverbs 13, verse 2 to 3. Proverbs 13, next chapter, verse 2 to 3. We'll finish with this. From the fruit of his lips, a man enjoys good things, but the unfaithful have a craving for violence. 
He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Three things I want to share today about using your tongue that God has given you to set you up for success. And I just basically ran out during the, while Don was speaking and printed off notes from a few years ago. So that's what I'm using. They're mine, okay? But it is another ABC, so... <laughs> it is, I know, ABC is my favourite. A is this. Speak words of appreciation, of adoration, of applause, of admiration, of acknowledgement. Basically, always speak words that praise God, that admire Him. You hear me sometimes rattle these things off in a service. Just adore Him. One of the best ways you can harness the power of your speech is by using it in praise to him. And I don't understand this with my head. And I don't have the Psalms written down, but I'm just remembering now Psalms talking about how our our praise in heaven, that God can use that to actually inflict devastation upon spiritual enemies. You can go home and Google it. Somewhere it is written, right? The bowls in, in Revelation, the angels have these bowls that they pour out in judgment against God's enemies. And it says those bowls are filled with the prayers of the saints, the prayers and praise of the saints. What's the first thing we can do with our tongue as a powerful instrument of success is to speak words of adoration, adore him, admire him. Appreciate him. I said last week when I was auditing myself on my own preaching for the year, see whether I'm actually putting into place what I myself have preached. And I said one of the areas I've been probably the most weak in growth so far this year is growing up. That whole thing about developing that personal culture of a worshipper. So I think that's probably my least area of growth so far this year. And so one of the things that I've just done practically is that rather than listening to so much uh, podcasting and political commentary like I've been doing in the last year or two, I just started putting on praise worship music again. Get onto Spotify, get onto whatever LP you've got, cassette tapes. Get your mixtape out, okay? Revival in Brownsville, you know the one. And just worship him. Just worship, whatever floats your boat. But just worship him. Those words are never wasted. You can always appreciate him because you've always got something to be grateful for. Um, remember people asking me once I was at a camp and they, um, they said, what does your, your um, sort of prayer life look like? And I said, you know, often times I'll just be walking, I'll always start thanking God. And sometimes I don't get into asking him for anything because in just thanking him, in just appreciating who he is and adoring him, it's, how, it's interesting to see how easy things flow and how the burdens that you thought you had seem to dissipate in an atmosphere of thanks. So use your tongue wisely. God has given it to you as an instrument of success and the first thing you, we can do with it always is to appreciate him. First Thessalonians 5, around about verse 18, says, Give thanks always. This is God's will for you in Christ. Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, because it's such an important thing, I'll say it again in verse 4, Rejoice. Be, ha- be happy in who he is. Continually offer a sacrifice of praise. A, always appreciate and applaud and acknowledge him. B, speak words that benefit, bless, and build up other people. Can you quickly find Ephesians 4.29, bruv? 
Ephesians 4.29, words that benefit, bless and build up others. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, so that it may benefit those who listen. Next verse. Verse, keep going. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God has forgiven you. We appreciate that God's forgiven us. And having received that forgiveness, we speak it over others to build and bless other people. Maybe this is what prompted me this morning watching Uncle watching Don speak. There's this great picture in Genesis. Um, Isaac, Abram, Isaac and Jacob. Jacob's the old guy, right? He becomes known as Israel. He's got the 12 sons and all the tribes come from him. And he's on his last legs. He's about to die as blind as a bat. And he's sitting on a chair and he's calling his sons to come to him so that he can bless them. And Joseph comes and he's, remember, been in Egypt for the last couple of years. He's got two sons uh, Manasseh and Ephraim are they the right ones and, uh, and you know your history and so these two sons he brings to to dad to lay his hands on okay dad I want you to bless these ones and speak words over them and he puts one on the left and one on the right the older one of course on the right because that's the son of my right hand okay and Jacob goes like this and he starts speaking a blessing over this kid that should have been for that one, etc., etc. And Joseph kind of freaks out. He grabs his dad's hand and he says, oh, Sorry, old fella, you got around the wrong way. No disrespect. And Israel says, No, 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 I know exactly what I'm doing. What's the point? The point is that Joseph understood the power of those spoken words. It's not, the issue over the sons is not, not the main thing. The main issue is he understood what is coming out of my dad's mouth is going to be really important. And I want what he says to be on that son as the eldest and that son. Like, I, I know these words are important. And here's a dude that is the second in charge of the whole nation of Egypt. And his family, they're just a, a bunch of peasants now from a famine-ridden country. He could have a very low view of his dad from a political sort of standpoint. He's the one that's nicely dressed. And yet he recognises the voice of his dad and he says, I want that blessing on that son. This matters to me. There's something that maybe we don't have much in our culture, but it's the power of understanding spoken blessing. I think we are probably because most of us have been more affected by negative words, and this is my caution in the way society is going, that we understand so much the power of negative words that we're trying to legislate against negative words being spoken. I don't feel that that's a helpful thing. However, we so understand the power of negative words, I'd like to think that we as the church can demonstrate the power of positive words far more. Okay? We always want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And part of the problem is not about focusing on or saying, let's not do negative, let's actually not tame the tongue, train the tongue to be people that speak words of benefit and bless and build up other people. A, always appreciate God. First thing you can always do. B, speak words that build, benefit, and bless other people. And C, speak words that are consistent. It's another way of saying honest, but it has to start with a C, right? Speak words that are consistent. Speak words that are concise. And speak words that are collected and calm. Proverbs 17, 27 says a truly wise person uses few words. A truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even uh, tempered. Words that are concise. A truly wise person uses few words. Darby once said, He that hath knowledge spareth his words. A man of understanding is of a cool spirit. Speak words that are clear, concise and calm because all of us here have experienced the opposite of that. Words spoken rashly in heated moments. 
I'd rather be known as the person that, who there is weight to my words because my words matter. And sometimes I might fumble, like I am this morning, obviously. Sometimes I might fumble a bit, but I want my words to count. It actually matters when I speak, and I think the more frivolous we are with our words, the more we lessen that. Um, I was listening to a guy once, uh, was very strong on healing. It might have been Curry Blake. I can't 100% remember. And he was talking about why some people seem to have such effect in their words when they speak to the demonic realm or to sickness and that type of thing. And someone was saying, well, it doesn't work for me. I do what you say. I, I use the name of Jesus and I believe and, and da 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 He's saying, you know what, maybe it's this, this isn't an issue with God. Maybe it's an issue that those spiritual forces you're speaking to have heard you say so much in the past they don't respect what comes out of your mouth. Maybe in all the words that you use, you actually say stuff that you don't believe all the time and neither do they. So when you finally do speak to them, they go, well, we've heard you say this, we've heard you say that, we've heard you say that, we don't trust you. <laughs> Maybe. But it is important to let our words matter, let our words count. And it's so important we speak words that are consistent. It sounds almost predictable that a preacher should say, please be honest. Please be honest, okay? <laughs> Please be honest. Be authentic with your words. Um, we had a big family chat with our kids. I don't think any of them are here, so I can... Oh, I've got one there, okay. We had a big family chat last week, and we you know, do this every now and again. Kids are getting older, and we did the good parent thing. I think it's a good parent thing. We're yet to be tested. Um, the good parent thing of saying, you know, never, it doesn't matter what your kids tell us. You call us, no matter what trouble you're in, no matter what you've done, no matter who you're with, no matter what time of the day, any time in life, it doesn't matter, any mistake you make, you can tell us, nothing will shock us. But there's one thing that I just would break my heart, and it would be if you out and out lied to us. There's just something, I think as parents, those of you who've experienced that, there's just something about that... Um, betrayal of someone that you trust and have entrusted your heart with and I wonder sometimes how much that actually grieves the heart of God as a dad for us because you've all, you've all had that, you've had kids you, older than me, you've had kids that are real rat bags and it'd be interesting to hear some of the stories, the grey heads in here of those with adult kids about one of the most painful moments in parenting I'm sure for some of us it's when you see your kids go through, go through stuff that you can't do anything about I wonder how many of us would say some of the most painful memories is when my kids just looked me in the eye and said something that wasn't truthful. Please be honest. Your tongue is incredibly powerful. I want to encourage you to use it, A, to acknowledge him always. Just admire him, adore him. B, speak words that build and bless and benefit other people. And C, speak words that are consistent, that are concise and that are cool. And we have a great model in Jesus and we have a great empowerment in Jesus that is not only a model for us to follow, but is one who lives within us. We're being created after his image. And it's again one of those great contrasts. I mentioned it before about Moses, 40 years in the desert, repeating the words, Jesus in the desert after 40 days. A similar pattern we see with Adam. And I'll finish with this. Adam's in the garden. The enemy comes to him, says something to him. And he takes those words and he swallows them. Yeah? He takes those words and he swallows that lie. He did not discern with his tongue. And he swallowed the words of the enemy by taking the fruit. Okay? And the repercussions there obviously were pretty disastrous. Jesus is in the desert going through the same temptation that Adam did. He is revisiting. We've got the first Adam, the second Adam. It's the whole prototype thing, okay? The enemy comes and lies to him. And as those words come to Jesus, Jesus tastes them and he speaks back. It is written, he speaks the word of God. He uses his tongue as a weapon. We can swallow words that can either really bless us or really harm us. Jesus demonstrated what it's like to discern the words that we hear 
and to speak words of truth. And thankfully for all of us that he spoke, he knew the power of his tongue. It wasn't a tame tongue, it was a trained tongue. He spoke words that all of us are here today because he overcame that temptation. I'm really grateful for that. God has set you up for success in life. And one of the greatest weapons at your disposal is right under your nose. Use it wisely. Your words have power to harm or to heal, to bring curse or to bring blessing. And like I encouraged you last week, choose life. And if you agree with that, say something. Say something. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. Thank you for blessing us before, Don, for sharing those words. Thank you, Mia, for stepping out and sharing those words today. Thank you, Rachel, for sharing those words. Some of you today are going to share some words over coffee. Some of you are going to share words over lunch. Some of you are going to share words through your fingers. But it's funny, no matter how powerful typing is, there's nothing like eye-to-eye, face-to-face words that have tone on them. So don't neglect tone. Don't neglect your voice, okay? Could we just thank him as the king of our heart again? Can you do that? Because we commit our hearts to him and offer our tongues to him. Maybe that's what we should do this morning. Maybe that's our response that I've really planned ahead well. The scripture says somewhere in Romans 4-ish, 3-ish, 5-ish, that we are to offer... It's on the left-hand side of the page. um, Is that we offer our instruments to him or our members to him, body parts basically, as instruments of righteousness. And one of the reasons I love starting church services with song is because this, the first day of the week, is kind of something we're doing, we're acknowledging. I'm offering my tongue to you. So I think that would be a great day, way for us to leave today. So when we stand, let's offer our mouths to him. This has been a podcast from Bayside Church International. Thanks for listening.